Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. In this episode, we discuss innovation, which is a favorite topic of ours. But instead of diving in for a structured conversation, we dove at the bait that was offered by Mark Andreessen in his Techno Optimist Manifesto. And that was our starting point. If you haven't read it, um, I, I would suggest taking a moment to read it before we, we you listen to the rest of the podcast. You do not have to. Um, it is definitely an interesting um, opinion piece about the power of innovation, which is why it was a good input for our discussion on innovation. And uh, you will see we have our own unique perspective um, and then have a robust discussion about how innovation should work that tees up further conversations about something called the three horizons model for innovation. Uh, buckle up. This is a fun, wild ride of a conversation sparked by some interesting uh, tech writing from Mark Andreessen. Enjoy the discussion. I had a list of stuff to talk about for what is innovation. Um, yeah. And then yeah, Mark Andreessen dropped I was, that so, little <laughs> nugget. So I, I think it might be interesting. Um, I know that the well, what is innovation com- conversation is going to be multiple sessions anyway. I, I would love to hear y'all's feedback on, I got my Texas y'all in there. Um, feedback in the techno optimist manifesto from Mark Andreessen. And actually there's an interesting piece also, which is the HashiCorp CEO is giving blowback on open source. Um, and so, so those things make an interesting cocktail. I don't know what ratios you want, but, um, I, I would love to, to do that. We can add an olive, um, and, and have, you know, have a nice discussion starting from the techno optimist. And then I'll get some notes and we can figure out some of the other things that we had, like incremental versus transformational three horizons model. Like we have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about for innovation yeah. also, yeah. but, mm-hmm. but it's that, that techno optimist manifesto is too juicy for me to not offer as, as an appetizer. Let me ask you something. When you were reading that, Rob, I actually, yeah. Joanne, Tyler, have you have you looked at that? Have you seen I have. I I I, I have not. I'm putting oh. it in the chat. It, it's, not, <laughs> it's not short and it, it it's not. Anyhow, I want I know what I know what I know what I I know what I what was going through my head as this went through, but as I start, as I read and went further and further, Rob, what what was your what was your reaction? What were your reactions? Uh, um, God, I it's it it felt like, and and I was I, I have to admit I, like I sharks. Oh God, I I read it. I read oh. it inside of like I was linked to it from another thing that that sort of pre-warmed me towards seeing it as you know sort of this this rant where he it was it's sort of childish there's a whole bunch of like um you know very very short sentences that are statements there's a whole bunch of name dropping there's a whole bunch of sort of like 
like there's something that's that is really bothering him um that he hasn't voiced in the entire manifesto yeah yeah, yeah he may not realize it's, what it is that's bothering him too uh, whether he does or he doesn't, it came across to me like a four-year-old's tantrum. <laughs> and it wasn't nearly as good as the other tantrum that I saw this week, which was from a young woman who claimed that just because she got a degree, that's all that the experience of getting the degree should qualify her for a $200,000 a year marketing job. And it was... Um, uh, uh, Patrick Slavenberg put it out on LinkedIn and had she been smart she would have done it herself and taken all the feedback that the post got about her rant uh, which ranged anywhere from she has a server job that she hates and you know uh, laments about so the comments were anywhere from um, I wouldn't even let her handle my sushi order to you know, what kind of a, what kind of business school did she go to to get a marketing degree that she hasn't even figured out that she should be marketing this as part of her own thing, not letting other people do it. And so when I read Andreessen, who I have had the opportunity to meet in the past, my answer was like, either you're taking drugs again, semicolon. Or something, you know, this is a midlife crisis that you don't know how to deal with, and the money in the cars don't satisfy you. Oh, this sounds like a lot of fun to read. Mm -hmm. Oh, it, it, it starts off a little fun, and, it, and then it, it actually trends towards, it actually starts off more rational, and then trends towards sort of shouting, like, and, th and that's sort of how it ended up feeling. I, I actually think that, that especially as a and i haven't met him um but you know it the, the this this table pounding idea of just let us solve your problems just let us solve your problems um is is sort of the the drumbeat of how i how i read it it was it was this idea that you know you know we we techno optimists and it's very and randy in that sense Ooh, um mm -hmm. are, no are are going you know we 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 that we will fix we will fix and solve we will fix and solve um and, well everybody and, on this everybody in this session has had these thoughts in their minds where they're sitting across from somebody that doesn't understand what we're trying we're trying to dumb it down and dumb it down and we still can't dumb it down enough and you still don't know if it was because i'm too far in the weeds to be able to dumb it down enough or the person across from me is too dumb so let's just stop this conversation and just let me solve your problem right like, i mean know, everybody's had that 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 is a truism i think for all of us yeah in, in this industry but, yeah so here's my question to to you and to rich did you get a strong sense in reading it that he basically sort of under the covers admits that we don't know what the problem is we're supposed to be solving? Oh. Yes. And yeah, what what doesn't 
that the words don't come out and the concept doesn't come out, that the, the concepts that don't come out and the words that don't come out are um, the common good. Right. Regulation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this very, very ideologue, you know, it's the free market, Friedman-esque, mm-hmm. um, you know, let us, let us, you know, let us loose and we'll, you know, and we and the met and the invisible hand, which is a misinterpretation of Adam Smith, actually. Yes. Is will <laughs> this, this is the invisible hand. Yeah, that's the invisible finger. Actually, that's the quite visible <laughs> finger. But yes, there were four I, invisible I, fingers, is the problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, uh, I like I, I like that one. That's good. Um the point here is they he never he 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 fusses around with the with economics and and how you know we're we technologists we techno optimists have you know brought us to this you know wonderful place we are now they don't he does not address the notion of real costs and who bears costs when you have a free market, quote unquote, uh, economy, and um, you know, go to any any halfway decent economist who will talk to you about markets and free markets, and come back with the point that they are based on a presupposition of some kind of level playing field at the start, yes. uh, which does not exist. So no. he he's, to Joanne's point, it sounds like he's in fact apologizing for something he knows or intuits or realizes is the is a flaw and he's he's rash he's doing a excuse me he's doing a shitload of rationalizing it's 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 easy it's easy when you're the when you're one of the richest people on the planet um to be optimistic (laughs) i mean that's that's his point it's like it's like this table pending saying why aren't you more optimistic about all this cool stuff that's going to get my jet packs and my self-driving cars and and my free energy you know all and you know all of this stuff that's you're you're it's all amazing and he's like y'all are you're 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 you know you're you're pooing in my punch bowl i'm on on my drinks analogies today yeah um okay for 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 this and you're 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 you know it's it's like this you, you, y'all aren't you don't think that we're going to solve all these problems it's like you know hey elon musk is going to mars and and he's doing great stuff great he's building great big rockets I, and we're not yeah. but we're not sure that they're solving problems for uh right that's that's where uh-huh. go ahead well i i think the other part of it is he's in some at some points very aggressively saying i shouldn't have to apologize for some mm. of the stuff 
and in other points saying, I humbly apologize for all the bad things we have done by supporting, you know, by throwing billions upon billions of dollars at technologies that don't amount to any value for humankind. So I don't know if he's going through this, like, that's why I said it's like a midlife crisis that the money in the cars don't satisfy. And he reminds me a little bit of, of uh, his um, cohort, Eric Schmidt, who about five, six years ago did something similar in one of his takes. And I'm like, yeah. okay, so you're all hitting midlife, you know, within a, within a decade, and this is your view? But I, I don't see him – I don't – he doesn't have the – pardon the expression, cojones, to be Musk. He just <laughs> has the verbal diarrhea to write the manifesto. I mean – Listen, oh, we give the guy I, a lot I, of credit. I'm not I'm, the billionaire that I'm, he I'm, is, I'm, but – it's I'm not, I'm not disagreeing. There's an interesting – there's there, – Musk and himself. The comparison you made includes Musk in that, which yes, had me on yeah. this interesting divergent thing. I I was having this, this. This is a challenge for me in like, you know, as a startup founder who isn't on the VC money go as fast as possible, burn cash path. Watching sort of the scorched earth rush of spend all the money, prove it. You know, it, it's 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 a very and Rich, you were making these points about common good and regulation. I was throwing in equity, um, you know, systemic racism or systemic discrimination, and 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 building in those 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 yeah. systems, building on top of those systems. Um, and I was going back to you know as I learned more and more about you know living in an old city where, you know, we've gone through eras of you know, industrial booms that just dumped chemicals into the harbor, into the environment. And mm -hmm. we were like, well, don't stand in the way of progress. We've got to, you know, whatever, even, even, uh, I'm not going to pull in um, military that, that goes, that's, that's, there's, there's rush, but in some cases, the top techno optimism is I'm in a rush. You keep, you keep pulling me backwards. Right. Um, and and yeah. I think this is a dilemma we all have with innovation. It's it's really really hard when you're innovating mm -hmm. to understand what the downsides are going to be, what the changes are going to be, what the impact is going to be. Um, and we have. But, but the same, go ahead. And, sorry, and there's the there's, same token. Oh, go ahead, Rich. I was just going to say, in no part of this screed. Is there really a, a a a statement about accountability and responsibility? Mm. Those yeah. words do not cross his lips. And when he comes up with his, you know, enemies list, and I'm I keep <laughs> so I keep, I keep, re <laughs> I keep remembering you know the Nixon enemies list from from Watergate, but. Um, yeah. It's 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 like, oh, you know, really, this is this is this is bad business. This is this is really bad business. And it's it's um, it's somebody living in a in a in the high castle somewhere. And you know what? Um, 
there's, if he truly believes this, then from my point of view, he's counting on what effectively is a fairy tale or a set of fairy tales that, um, you know, unfettered, you know, human beings and the smartest of our human beings are going to basically save the day for everybody else, or at least improve the lot for everybody else. And it's not just a little bit ironic that one of the enemies is the ivory tower. Yep, exactly. And, and, and there's no point in that, um, um, verb, that comment that Rich just made that isn't dripping cup overflows with the cynicism of I'm really not an optimist and the people without me cannot do good on their own. You need to be uh, say the, say, the savior complex. You need to be a Silicon Valley VC. That's the only way I can describe it because yeah. I don't have other words for it. It's, well, well, I, have, is, no, I have no savior. It's a savior. I, I have yeah. no firsthand knowledge of uh, what it the narcissism of billionaires. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's all secondhand knowledge for me around that. Um, I, yeah, it's it's a kind of self involvement that is really peculiar to a lot of these folks and certainly a lot of the folks that we're seeing as being being held up as that you know having that that role yeah it's 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 pretty spooky you know what's funny is i i was really working to try to get my my post done on innovation for you guys the innovation culture chapter of my book Oh. Uh, and I'm up to about 3,000 words, and I've, I'm not done. <laughs> uh, but let's let's just say I'm I'm looking at innovation from an ecosystem model perspective, uh, and I think it's a really interesting approach. But holy moly, it, I'm coming at this problem with my writing. 180 degrees different from what Andreessen is doing. I mean, I, I I read my stuff and it's more like, it's almost like an academic paper as opposed to a manifesto, right? We're, we're just trying to analyze the dynamics of how, you know, groups and business units and companies and industries and economies operate from an innovation perspective and and i define innovation as exponential change uh so in ecosystems mm. you have a tipping point that's reached uh like I, in in my writing i i'm talking about like coral reefs and the bleaching of coral reefs and that the tipping point in the coral reef ecosystem is when the rate of coral uh animal uh, deaths in the population exceeds the rate of replacement of growth. Mm -hmm. of growth. And once that happens, you have this, this, uh, 
es- this exponential es- escalation because fewer animals survive to reproduce so the replacement da- gr- uh, rate starts to decline exponentially which means that the population declines exponentially and so you have this inflection point in the curve of population and what i've realized is disruptive innovation is all about exponentials and inflection points in in populations and the, and if you look at like AI, for example, what's different about AI is that is the way you define the ecosystem. So generative AI, uh, you know, when when Chat GPT went viral, uh, what happened is the number of active users of AI grew exponentially. And is continuing to grow exponentially. And the reason why is the awareness that exists in the general population that AI could have an impact on their everyday lives. So you've got college students using ChatGPT. You've got lawyers using ChatGPT. Whereas previously, the ecosystem of AI extended basically into the data science community alone. Uh, and so you didn't have actual people using AI in their everyday lives other than folks that are involved in some sort of data science activity, maybe right. some automation like drone, you know, uh, you know, self-driving systems, uh, those kinds of specialized engineering disciplines or data science. And, 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 and now we have hundreds of millions of people that are that are. Not just aware, but also are concerned about AI's potential to take away their jobs and take away their livelihoods and create threats. And it's actually the exponential growth in fear driven by the viral phenomenon that is creating this inflection point and the usage of AI, which means that uh, and that's where AI becomes a disruptive innovation versus a different model where uh, within a stable ecosystem like a Fortune 500 company, uh, they're looking at AI as a way to create oh sustaining incremental innovations, you know, a la Clayton Christensen, right? Sustaining versus disruptive. So because these ecosystems have existed in stable environments for a long time, they're composed and led by individuals uh, that are not the 2.5% of innovators that Jeffrey Moore talks about in the technology diffusion curve, right? It's it's all the other mainstream folks and 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 folks in data science and IT that are uh, you know, mainstream adopters or even laggards in terms of adoption of new technology and the way that they employ new technologies is in a way to improve uh, what we're doing, but not improve how we're doing. Disruptive innovations are all about improving how we do things. So a disruptive innovation being like DevOps applying 
lean techniques to software development. That is disruptive in that it changes the way that you do things and the way you approach things, which is why you see pushback for those types of uh, adoptions in stable organizations versus the startup community and uh, and other folks that will uh, take the same technology and use it to invent a new business model that disrupts an industry. Uh, you won't see that kind of adoption of AI in large companies for the most part because of all that pushback uh, from folks that are uh, wedded to the status quo and do not have the innovation, the disruptive innovation mindset that Jeffrey Moore and Clayton Christensen talk about. Uh, so that's kind of where I was going with the talk. Or, or, or with with this approach, as opposed to like, okay, let, well, let's relate this to ecosystem models and think about rates of change and how that affects cultures and how it affects behaviors on the part of individuals and organizations as well. Yep. <laughs> let me push back here. Okay. Oh boy, where do I start? Um, Okay, so my take to that is the, let me start with this. If you look evolution from an evolutionary point of view at what was originally the light switch, the first, or one of the first HMIs, human machine interaction or interface, from a mechanical point of view, you flick the switch, power comes on, you're no longer standing in the dark. Fast forward, we were well beyond the HMI that is a CLI or an IDE. We are now talking about text and voice and touch and visual and any, any combination thereof. We're now at the next evolutionary phase called generative AI. And it is the first, the very first, that allows us to interact with machines being strictly ourselves. We don't have mm -hmm. to be, we're forced to follow a path. We're not forced to press an icon. We're not forced to do anything except type in some text that we understand as humans in whatever way, shape or form we choose to express ourselves and it will do something. It may hallucinate, it may not be accurate, it may give you an image when you actually want a text, if you're not somewhat specific, but it is an HMI, and it is the ability and our attraction to ChatGTP is based on the fact that it understands us as we are. We're not, we're not made to, to go down a particular path. There's no mouse required. I can speak into a microphone in my own voice, express myself at will, and it will execute something. But it does not think for me. It is not cogent. It is not sanguine. It is not even necessarily accurate. It will just execute in a semi-deterministic way. When you apply that to the ecosystem model of all stakeholders in the ecosystem. This is the democratization of an HMI for the entire ecosystem called humans. 
and the exponential effect that you're talking about, the network effect and the impact that it will have on business models, enterprises, and innovation is much more aligned with the idea of iterative chain of thought thinking. We innovate with each repetition, each additional element in a chain of thought dialogue in our heads or with ChatGTP to narrow it. We're not necessarily changing the prompt engineering of it. What we're changing is how we are individually interacting with it with each next step of that chain of thought. And the ecosystem effect that you're speaking about is I don't agree that it's Christensen or Moore or anybody else. This is a beast entirely different because it's not spreading horizontally or vertically. It's spreading geometrically. And with each re hmm. uh, refinement that whether it's Lambda or, or ChatGTP or newer models, what we're seeing is that it learns as it goes. So no matter how many iterations of that chain of thought, it's always going to come back with something different. If you ask it, for example, ChatGTP in particular, and I do this all the time, I say to it, this is what I want you to create. I let it do its thing, <coughs> excuse me, and I then ask it to revise. But after so many revisions, it actually reverts back to the original. And with each new revision, it changes the tonality or it changes the inference slightly. And that's where the notion that the large language model, which is really just a very fancy HMI based on NLP, supervised and deterministic, and programmatic is permeating every industry, every you know individual in some way, shape, or form. But it's really not that different than, hey, Siri, do X, or hey, Google, do Y. It's just that with Siri and the voice only, the, the earlier versions in the phones, we had no idea what they were actually going to do. With ChatGTP, we have an idea because we know it reads the text or it reads the image or it reads whatever we're giving it so that it's more, it's a step towards sentience, but it's still not sentient. And that's that level of attraction of the HMI and where this chain of, of thought comes in is what makes it so um, appealing to the masses. But the so innovation is more than pushing the masses, back on yeah. what I said, though. I, I don't understand. I don't see where the pushback is because I think we're 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 approaching the same thing from two different uh, vectors. But uh, but it's it's really uh, so when when I talk about inflection point, I'm talking about that that switch on of the geometric growth in e utilization that uh, that. That's it's driven. So you're you're talking about that geometric growth and the capabilities of the large language models. And I'm talking what about I'm the talking geometric. About is, Sorry, oh, go just, ahead. I just want to make a correction. What I disagree with Tyler is that people were not really using AI 
other than in the data, you know, kind of professions. Manufacturing has been using it for years in robotics. Healthcare has been using it for a long time in recipe creation. There's different kinds of AI. ChatGTP in its explosion into the world simply revealed that AI exists in multiple ways. Geospatial is another way. And I think that's where Andreessen was actually going, by the way, was towards geospatial and quantum, not to the generative AIs and, and AI models of the world. But that's a whole other discussion. But no, the 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 innovation of making this geometrically spread allows for absolute millions upon millions of little innovations, which collectively will make that ecosystem change. But well, that, that's the, that, that's how ecosystems work. It's like uh, um, um, Asimov uh, and psychohistory, right? It's the aggregation of yeah. millions of uh, what was his Harry? What was the character's name? Harry, Harry? Seldon. Harry Seldon. Seldon. Yes. yes, Harry Seldon. Right? Psychohistory. So same sort of thing, right? Um, I, I still don't think that we disagree. I, I think that. I, I absolutely agree. So AI is not a monolith. There are many forms of AI, uh, some of which hit their inflection point years ago. And depending on how you define the ecosystem, uh, so folks that are using AI without being aware of that, uh, in my opinion, I'm, that's not the ecosystem I'm talking about necessarily. I'm talking about generative AI and the ecosystem of users who are people who are actually using chat GPT and, and other tools similar to that uh, at the beginning of this year was when that particular instance of AI technology hit the inflection point. Uh, and the argument I'm making is that it hit the inflection point because of the awareness that created changes in behavior across a population of millions of users and that change in behavior that is you know and 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 biological ecosystems the key the 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 key attribute is populations so relative population uh numbers for different species in the ecosystem in a social ecosystem like a corporation that the, the key metric is actually behaviors. Um, I have to think about that because my, my definition of ecosystem for the enterprise is the enterprise and its overall list of trading partners, whether they're value chain partners or supply chain partners or just overall trading partners. So all of the stakeholders together form that ecosystem, whether they're in-source, outsource, intrapreneurs, extrapreneurs, yeah. et cetera. So you, you take the value chain and you do that, that expansion exponentially, um, you end up with a huge amount of players in that ecosystem. Well, Not with us, Joanne, it often comes down to semantics, doesn't it? Right? Is what is our definition of an ecosystem? 
Uh, so what you described is, a, I would call that a value chain or it, it could, or an ecosystem, but it's not, but you've got, you know, it's like Russian dolls, right? You've got ecosystems and cap encapsulated between uh, additional uh, ecosystems like um, like in biological ecosystems, you've got ecosystems and then biomes, right? And then yeah. niche ecosystems within larger or ecosystems. And so when it, when I say a social ecosystem, like a business, uh, a team, a design team is an ecosystem. A business unit is an ecosystem. A company is an ecosystem. And some of them are niche within other ecosystems, and you have this whole hierarchy that goes up to humanity as an as a social ecosystem, right? Uh, and I, I think that's that's the definition that I'm using, saying that that when it comes to innovation uh, in in the how you do things. Uh, so the disruptive innovation, like how, we're we're going to adopt lean techniques and change the way that we structure our teams and the way that we partition the work and the way that we pass work from folks, one person or one system to another. All of those changes in the way we do things versus the changing in the product and improving the output of the product, right? So for that kind of change, there's always an inflection point, and it always has to do with the perception of the members of the population at hand. So take DevOps, for example. Uh, DevOps about, are you talking about the agents who adopt it as opposed to the consumers? Yes. Yeah, the people that interact with the tech. Okay. Uh, like... Right. You know, no, I just a, wanted to clarify. I just yeah. wanted to clarify. Yeah. So, case in point, DevOps has been on this multi-decade journey of adoption, uh, where you, you didn't see adoption of DevOps in large companies until you know five, seven years ago, with a few major exceptions. There's a couple of exceptions here and there, but like, you know, you're, you're at like percentage penetration of DevOps in the fortune 500 and 2014 where they're actually doing real DevOps is low. It was like 10% or lower. And what happened is that your software developers at some point became aware of DevOps and then they became aware of the tooling and then the behavior started to change when these 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 uh, operators in the ecosystem realized that knowledge of DevOps skills will help them in their careers. So that's where the inflection point happened is where you had a lot of technologists start to realize that they need to get on the DevOps bandwagon for their own career self-interest. And it was that growth, that geometric growth within the developer population that hit that critical mass where we started to see widespread adoption in, in DevOps, you know, and, and moving from traditional software monolithic software development to DevOps processes that really hit that inflection point, in my opinion, probably around 
2016, 2017, something like that. Uh, so can I can that, I ask that, you my, can I ask can I ask you a question about that, Tyler? Um, they did people did adopt DevOps, take it up, and embrace it. There is a an element of self interest and and you know made them made them more um, attractive to a larger number of employers. But the reason was a longer standing and a bigger aspect, and that is the results of using DevOps was generating quality with differences in the quality of what was what was being generated. Yep. It improved the performance on any number of different metrics for the companies and organizations and ecosystems that embraced it. So had there not been a, a reward system, to your point, that that favored the use of DevOps, those people would not have adopted it. The the point I guess I'm I'm making here is we're talking about time scales, and this is why well, we mm -hmm. won't have any time to to deal with it. But we'll, I think we'll the horizon the conversation the the horizon uh, issue is um, at some point I'd like to have the, that conversation, Rob, because one of the things okay. that that the you know the the three horizon model talks about is. Um, it doesn't actually relate those things to those three horizons or a single kind of innovation that has a has three epochs of growth yeah. and that you know you can you can talk about something that gets adopted really quickly but it morphs over time and has a longer downstream effect in kind of midterm and long term, some uh, things get adopted as fashion and disappear. There's a kind of a you know, if it's not working or if it turns out that it was a it was a, a hallucination, a, a, yeah, a, it was a it was a it was a good story, but it didn't didn't actually pan out. It gets thrown away. It gets thrown out. Mm -hmm. Um, so there is an evolution in in innovations and in the adoption of technologies, techniques, processes, belief systems. And those things go through a kind of a series of gates, if you want to think about them. And those might, in fact, be more like the three horizons that that we were that were that the McKinsey guys are always on about. Um, oof, I don't know. Well, yeah, just, uh, so, so technology S curves, yeah, right? Exactly. Exactly. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to, since we are out of time, I'm going to put this in November. I'm going to move this into the November 2nd so we can keep the thread. And the, the thing that I had for November 2nd, which was the intersection of lean and, uh, Data analysis, which has been often delayed, will move back into. I'll, I'll I'll put back into December second. What would you like the focus of this next one to be, Rob? How, I, I how would, do you see it? 
I would like to start from the Three Horizons model. Mm-hmm. Um, Good. And and um, I think that there's an in, I think there's interesting elements. Um, thinking back on on what we're talking about, everything from this the idea that an innovation is going to solve all problems, which we're all guilty of, of doing. Um, but also, I think the time horizons that we've been talking through are are really interesting because you're right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I this conversation has had me rethinking, you know, sort of DevOps from an operational perspective. And what is it innovative? Is it not? You know, it, it it's innovative, but I think it's actually a response to exactly other changes yeah. that we have. Um, and and um, I would I will yeah. argue, and it will probably be an argument that in <laughs> many cases, the love affair or the early love affair with generative generative AI is also one of response and why it's so why is why is it so seductive? Why is it so mm-hmm. engaging? Why is it in it is as a response that that, that is, is where that is where I would love to see some part of this conversation go. Well, so that's I, that's, P, that's Peter Thiel zero to one talking about the ten x improvement. Mm, I, I, that's that's why Gen no. AI is so hot. It's like you you go like, hey, rewrite this, and and something that would have taken you two hours you get back in 30 seconds i I think there's there's an element there but there's something deeper and it's it's more about it's more about human beings it's about yes very much it's about it's about the discussion and it's about the way we communicate the way we think and um it's in fact the fact the well i'm gonna hold off on this but I've, I've got a I've got a funny theory that I want to I'll I'll throw out the next time we have this conversation. Well, I I only have one question to ask you, and 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 I don't mean to be provocative with it. Do oh, you believe? When do you has no. that ever been the case that you don't want to be provocative? That's <laughs> I want to hear the question. I, would, I only provoke people I have great respect for. Okay, um, I'm good. Okay, so think Three Horizons and think HMI. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very curious to hear what your what your um, discussion will be about because I have a feeling that it's a little bit closer to my HMI theory than you might think. Oh, I think oh, I think HMI is a big part of this. This is yeah. absolutely no. So no, no argument there. Anyway, we're out of time. Yeah. Okay. This was an yeah. invigorating conversation. I'm going to go get my jetpack and fly out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. T- tell Did you see the flying taxis? <laughs> yeah. Hey, personal mm-hmm. drones. Uh, Have you seen the Jetson yet? Your personal drone, your, your personal jet taxi. It's a, it's not a jetpack, but no. it's pretty damn close. Uh, I want if only, if only those those damn techno pessimists were not standing in our way. 
Yeah, really. <laughs> what a what a bunch of, of killjoys, right? All right. Hey, folks. Uh, Great nice, to see nice you all. Way to wrap it up. I'll see you Bye. later. Bye, everybody. Wow, I love how in Cloud 2030, we can take these news of the day items and pull them back up, look at them in a broader context, have some fun doing it, and then come back with really thoughtful, useful viewpoints that can impact what you do on a regular basis to help you set your strategy. If this is helpful, and I hope it is, if you're listening at this point in the podcast, you can join us also, bring in your conversations, your questions at the 2030.cloud. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.